The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IBC Media in San Diego, California. Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation state. Thanks for tuning in today. We have a great guest, Megan Butler, who's Vice President and Chief of Staff at Recology. They are focused on an issue. I, I think this is kind of the perfect example of issues we love to zero in on at Nation State of Play, stuff that's really important and has a big impact on public policy in California, on the lives of all Californians. But in an age of constant emergency from one news cycle to the next, these are the things that are slipping below the, below the headlines. And what she's going to talk about is a ballot initiative that will be on the ballot for next cycle that would really make California a leader in recycling which is uh, a topic that's been around for a long time, but has actually stalled out from a public policy advancement point of view in a lot of ways. And so to reinvigorate that, Recology has chosen to do what a lot of organizations in California are doing, which is go to the ballot, try to make a really big change in the law that would have a huge impact. So that's the topic for today. It's an interesting conversation about not just uh, a key environmental issue, but how politics is working in Sacramento. So coming up next, we're gonna have Megan Butler, Vice President and Chief of Staff at Recology. This is the Nation State of Play podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Miller. American democracy is good, but we can make it better. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers includes organizations across the country who are working right now to build a better democracy by opening primaries, implementing safe, secure voting systems, reducing corruption, and increasing transparency. Listen to our weekly podcast, How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, to hear updates from the latest movements in the democracy reform space. Subscribe and learn more about us at nonpartisanreformers.org. Welcome back to the Nation State of Play podcast. Well, Megan, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little bit of an overview of your company and the organizations who you're involved with on this critical topic of recycling that we're going to talk about today. Of course. So Recology is a 100% employee-owned resource recovery company. And when I say that, what I mean is we're the company that provides the collection and processing services for when us, you know, residents, commercial businesses, put all of our discarded materials out on garbage day. And so to dive a little bit deeper into that, the way we provide those collection services is typically through what's called a source separated program. So you have three separate bins, one typically blue for your commingled recycling, one that's typically green for your organics, which will be like your yard trimmings and your food scraps. And then one that's usually black or gray, which contains all the material that can't go in the blue or the green bin and is ultimately landfilled. So Recology, we provide the collection of those materials and also the processing of those materials. So kind of sticking with those three streams, the blue bin material, the recycling material, goes to a material recovery facility known as a MRF. That's the recycling plant, which it's then separated out into all of its different sellable commodities. So that's fiber, plastic, glass, metal, et cetera. It's then sold further processed so that it can become a product that you can then resell back into the marketplace. The green bin, the organics, the food scraps and the yard trimmings go to a composting facility that Recology owns and operates. And that's where it goes through a biological process where microorganisms are able to digest that organic material and ultimately create a nutrient rich soil amendment 
that's then sold back to our agricultural farms, our landscapers, our vineyards, even our gardens. And then the final bin, the blue or, or the gray or the black bin, is what's ultimately landfilled. And Recology owns and operates a few landfills where that material is not further processed and it just degrades in the landfill. So to circle back to what I mean by Recology being a truly resource recovery company, it means that in it, each situation throughout that stream, every time we're handling that material, we're always looking for what's that next best and highest use for that material so that we can actually have a closed loop system. And we're making meaningful strides to what our vision as a company is, which is that we see a world without waste. Uh, great. Well, terrific background. So if you could now, I want to frame up the size of sort of the, uh, the recycling issue in the state, but if you can maybe start with an overview of what the ballot initiative is that you're focused on, what it would do, and then we can talk about how much plastic actually gets wasted in California, but, but let's start with the ballot initiative and what it does at a high level. Sure, of course. So the initiative, which is specifically titled the California Recycling and Plastic Pollution Reduction Act of 2022 does three main things. It reduces plastic pollution, it restores and protects environments that have been harmed by plastic pollution, and it increases recycling. And the main motivation behind Recology's involvement in this is really it's become a global problem, right? So if we think at that magnitude and we look at the amount of plastic that's produced globally on an annual basis, we see over 335 million tons of plastic. And sometimes what I like to do when I say a stat like that is actually take a step back and like try to actually visualize how much material that really is. So 335 million tons. So one ton is 2000 pounds, right? And plastic, as we're all familiar with, because we use it day in and day out, is very lightweight material. So to hit that threshold of one ton of 2000 pounds, just think of the amount of volume of plastic that needs, you're going to fill up rooms before you even hit that threshold, because you're looking at film plastics, you're looking at shrink wrap, you're looking at even just your typical water bottle, you know, very lightweight material. So the volume of that is huge. And what's unfortunate is cumulatively, like both globally, inclusive of in California, the recycling, recycling rates for plastic are well below 10%. So we know that it's, it's, it's a huge problem. To dive just slightly a little bit deeper to kind of bring a little bit of a local feel to it and kind of from a recycler's perspective, I wanted to share a little bit of data with you from our material recovery facility that's located in San Francisco. So plastics represent about five to 7% by weight of the total recycling commodities that come into our plant. Now, keep in mind, these are the recycling commodities that are actually making it into the recycling system, right? They're not being thrown away directly or being thrown in the gutter or into a water stream. So it makes up five to 7% by weight, but almost 25% by volume. So for recyclers, these types of plastics are pretty difficult for us to deal with because of their overall volume, but also because of their variety and shapes and sizes and densities and composition, it's difficult to be able to recover those types of materials. And so as a recycler, we typically bundle these plastics into two main buckets, one being what we call high value plastics. And those are typically your traditional water bottle, like a PET bottle, or your laundry detergent bottle, HDPE. And the reason they're high value to us is because when we do recover them through the process, they actually have a robust market that we can sell them into and they can be further processed to be able to create a new product 
that's then entered back into the economic system. The other bucket we typically call low value plastics. And those are the problem plastics that you often hear us talking about and what we're targeting through this plastics initiatives. And those are typically those single use plastics. Again, those film plastics that you see like bubble wrap or the shrink wrap that pretty much encompasses almost anything that we buy that's shipped to us. And the reason these are low value plastics is because even if you have the ability to recover them and pull them out of the stream, which takes an immense amount of technology to be able to do that, there's often no market for you to sell it to. There's no ability to then create a new product to then enter back into the stream. So there's really no hope for trying to make it towards that circular economy. So the reason that we're having these types of discussions and that we've really put a ton of support behind this initiative is not only do we need to be talking about reducing the source of these types of plastics and how they're manufactured, but also that when they are manufactured, that they truly are recyclable or compostable so that when they are recovered, they do have a market to go to and then they can be repurposed. Got it. Yeah, super helpful. So, so what's the change that needs to happen to these low value recyclable products to actually make them more something that you can resell in the market? So I think that's a great segue to talk a little bit about some of the specifics of the initiative, because that's what the initiative is actually trying to tackle, right? Is like, what do we need to do and how do we do it holistically so that we're moving towards a, a solution that actually has impact on this, really this global crisis that we're facing. So if you kind of look at the initiative and the specifics of it, what it does is it's looking at reducing plastic trash pollution by ensuring that all the single use plastics, again, those are like those film plastics, things that we use one time and we throw them away, that they're either reusable, recyclable, or compostable by 2030. So it puts a timeline on that. So that again, when they come into the system, when you recover them, there's actually something you can do with them. You can put them back into the market. Um, what it also does is it reduces the single use plastics that can be sold within the state of California by at least 25% by 2030. And again, that's really looking at trying to make source reduction in the manufacturer, right? Because we want the purpose of recycling, right, is to displace the use of virgin material to be able to, you know, recover the resources and to be able not to not deplete the resources that we do have available to us. So we need, again, to look at it holistically. And part of that is at the manufacturing process. What it also does is it'll expand the ban on non-recyclable styrofoam food containers, which are a very problematic plastic product. And a lot of people don't even know that styrofoam is plastic in and of itself. And then finally, what it does is it actually assesses a one cent fee to plastic manufacturers on the single use plastic packages. And that those funds, which is a huge piece of this, goes towards plastic recycling and the environmental cleanup of plastic pollution that's been caused. And we can go a little bit into the specifics of those fundings as well. Uh, yeah, that, that's super helpful. Let me ask about the um, reduction aspect of it first. So uh, what is the enforcement of that look like under the ballot initiative? How, how would that work as a practical matter? So the enforcement mechanisms and the details of it would be figured out through the rulemaking process with CalRecycle, which is the, the large, you know, 
regulatory body that oversees all solid waste and recycling activities throughout the state. And so the way that the initiative is set up is that it puts this overall goal in a time frame and some specifics towards it, but in terms of the reporting and what would be you know, expected or exempt or things like that is dealt through in a longer process overseen by CalRecycle itself. Got it, got it. Uh, yeah, and, and let's kind of dig a little bit deeper into each of those provisions. So definitely curious about the funding stream. Is this something that has been tried in similar forms in other state or would this make California a, a true leader in the issue finally? This would make California a true leader in the issue. Um, it a lot of times we talk about in this realm, extended producer responsibility, which is a form of this, right? It's a way of bringing in all parties who are members to the overall supply chain of plastic materials from their creation to their recovery and recyclability to be a part and have a part to play both financially as well as in the recovery of them to make it successful so that we don't see ourselves in the issues that we're seeing today where we have plastics that are just constantly being streaming into our oceans and into our waterways and impacting not only our wildlife but also our human health. What the initiative does is a way to do that in a holistic fashion, right? And it has that funding mechanism that's so important when we look at you know, mandates or requirements that have in the past usually always been put on the ratepayer and the ratepayer or the taxpayer. And by bringing the manufacturers into this, we have that funding mechanism that allows us not only to be able to do the environmental restoration products projects that are so desperately needed, but also to implement the type of technology recycling and ultimately composting infrastructure that's needed to actually recover these types of materials. So. What we've seen in the past is we've actually seen a number of legislative efforts that have looked to solve this problem as well. And that's been the missing piece is that funding mechanism. And that's for a number of different reasons. And the reasons for it often is, you know, mandates and requirements that don't have a funding source and funding mechanism doesn't allow you to make these changes, right? You can't make those investments that are required to see the positive impacts that we're trying to achieve. But what's also a concern from the legislative perspective is that a funding mechanism, if it is included in a bill, it then requires a supermajority vote to pass because it is then a funding policy, which is difficult to do in and of itself, but especially in an election year, which we're coming up on which has been why a number of these legislative efforts in the past, which have all been great ideas and are complementary to the ballot initiative, often haven't gotten the full support or end up competing against each other and ultimately haven't passed, right? Which then puts us in a position where we're running out of time, right? We need to do something now because it really is becoming a global crisis. And if we continue to wait for the legislative process to work out, we very, may, very well may find ourselves in a position where it's too late to actually make any impact. Yeah, no, it, it, that's, I think it's such an important point about how the politics tends to work in Sacramento. We see this issue in a lot of places, including taxes, where the, the, because it is, um, I don't wanna say easy to pass ballot initiatives in California, uh, you can speak to how expensive they are for sure. But um, but it's a lower threshold, as you say, than the supermajority votes for things that like tax increases and things that need funding mechanisms. And we've sort of gotten into this weird incentive system in Sacramento where because it is so much relatively easier to pass things in the ballot initiative that the legislature is ducking tough issues like this one 
and saying, well, you know, what, why do I need to take that tough vote on something that, you know, could increase taxes or, um, you know, could be used against me in a campaign ad later on, if people really want it, they can go to the ballot and then creates kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where the hard stuff's getting done by ballot initiative, um, which, uh, which as, as I'm sure you're finding out is an expensive proposition in a state yeah, with, with yeah. 40 million people. Uh, but, but I am curious, what is your, what is the history here with the legislation? How many years ballpark have you been trying to work a legislative solution before you decided to go this route? So I'd say, you know, recology in the position that we've been in, in wanting to progressively always push more resource recovery and policy that allows us to be successful in recycling and composting more material. We've constantly been having this conversation, I would say for, for decades, we've, you know, plastic has always been an issue because it's difficult for us to deal with. But I also think it's much more apparent to us because of where we sit in the supply chain. But what's actually been encouraging about the last couple of years, I would say the last two to three years, is that the current situation in California, there has never before been as much of a collective focus from either the California legislature or the general public or frankly the industry at large around the need to solve this problem of plastics and, and specifically single-use plastics. So it's really been, I would say, over the last two years that you've seen significant, not only conversations where you have all of the right parties that are participating, but also legislative efforts that are actually trying to make significant change related to this issue. And, you know, some of these bills may sound familiar to audience members who've been following the legislative process, but SB 54, AB 1040, and AB 842 have all trying to take this problem and try to find a solution. But as I was mentioning earlier, none of them have actually moved forward because of a couple of different reasons, funding being one of them, supermajority being another, and the fact that it's not getting you know, broad support across all of the different impacted parties. And so the reason, again, that Recology has looked to the initiative process is because of the delay and because of the lack of meaningful progress that we've seen, that we feel it's time to go to the voters and it's time for everyone else to have a say in it. Makes makes a ton of sense. So let's let's talk about those other parties in the opposition and and uh, you know our listeners always tell us they love the, the inside politics here. They they want to know who's opposing what you're describing, which sounds like good common sense. Hard to imagine anyone disagreeing with it. And I'm not asking you to make the other side's argument, but but who is the opposition? Um, who, who, what does that look like? Yeah, so um, as you and your listeners may be aware, so the original timing of this bill was intended to be November of 2020. And because of the pandemic, we've seen some delays, but now it's actually been certified and it will go in front of the voters in November of 2022. So as of today, there's no registered opposition to the ballot initiative. However, based on all previous conversations, and you can also look at those bills that I just mentioned in the opposition to those, is a pretty good indication of probably where it's going to be coming from, which is likely going to be the large petroleum and plastics lobby. Um, that's typically where the conversations have always led. Yeah, so so let's let's dig into the the economics of that a little bit more. Um, I I can understand uh, from a petroleum perspective, they're not going to like reduction. Um, obviously, that's less demand for for their product. Um, it, but you've created these other funding streams, and I'm imagining that you're probably trying to find a way to help keep them. Uh, from being too upset about what the bill does. Is that fair? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, our approach has always been that it's you usually get to a better solution when people come to the table willing to kind of find that solution together. And I think what's gotten us to the point where we are proponents of and really taking the lead in putting this initiative out there is just we haven't seen that progress and it's time that we need to actually see action. So I think that Yes, we're constantly trying to figure out ways for this to work for all parties, but I think a lot of the pushback that you see is because California would be the first that's doing this. We're taking the leadership position, and it's a huge change from what is the current state of affairs, right? Manufacturers of these types of projects have never been brought into the fold to have any type of financial responsibility for the ultimate use of that product. Um, and as you mentioned before, source reduction is often not something that's favorable. But I think what's also encouraging is that you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen a huge increase of engagement from consumer brands combined with the heightened activity in processing and infrastructure technologies that have give us the ability to pull out and source separate these plastics. And then the overall corporate sustainability goals around recycling and product responsibilities that I, we're actually having some more meaningful discussions about how we can be successful in trying to achieve these goals and really tackle not only the plastics problem, but also because it has such an impact on climate change. And as all of us here in California are seeing with these rampant wildfire fires, how important that is. Absolutely. So one of the groups I've seen pop up and I think maybe previous opposition or it may be just press quotes is something called the American Chemistry Council. Can, is that just the oil industry front group or can you explain who that is? Yeah, so the American Chemistry Council, um, yes, it's an organization that has a, a number of different member organizations, inclusive of petroleum and plastics companies. And it's actually, you know, back uh, I'm not, not sure how familiar you are with kind of where this all started, but back in 2018, uh, Recology CEO at the time, Mike San Giacomo, did an op-ed on the plastics problem. And it kind of stemmed from, there was a 60 Minutes episode that was done about all of the issues that plastics are causing in our oceans, in our marine life, and to our human health. And Recology was a part of that 60 Minutes episode. They came to our facility, they did a lot, which was great because it's great exposure showing everybody how it's done. But Recology's takeaway was we're not doing enough, right? We're here, we're collecting this material and we're recovering what we can so it can go to a higher and better use, but we're not seeing the impacts that we need upstream to actually make meaningful change. And so that's what led to the op-ed. And from that, there were several conversations between Recology and the American Chemistry Council about whether or not there was a legislative fix or could we do this in partnership? And what ended up happening is kind of similar to this you know, what you hear me echoing throughout kind of some of this conversation is it was a little too slow and it was a little too late and we know that we need to make impact now. And because we weren't being able to do that, we basically couldn't put a timeline to it and said, okay, if we don't see meaningful change by a certain time, we need to do something else because action needs to occur. And that's where we find ourselves today. So if we could, let's, let's kind of talk about the national implications of this because as you've you know, said, this would put California at the forefront. Um, big oil's gonna hate it. When I hear that, that makes me think this becomes not just an issue for California oil producers and their affiliates, but um, something that they feel like nationally they need to stop because it, you know, hopefully would spread to other states. So, so first of all, is is that something you would expect? You you view this as sort of a 
you know, canary in the coal mine testing ground on, on something along these lines? And, and if so, you know, do you have allies as well who, who might be jumping in nationally because this becomes kind of the forefront of the fight? Yeah, I mean, you know, who's to say what's going to happen in the future, right? Uh, I think, you know, what I would say to that question is that very well could happen. But I also think that you're seeing a lot of other players come to the table that maybe you wouldn't have seen a couple years ago. Again, mentioning some of the consumer brands, some of the, the brands have true corporate sustainability goals about the products that they're creating. You know, that's important part of this conversation. And I think so many um, of those stakeholders see that there is something that needs to be done because this is a continually growing problem that not only is impacting California and as you mentioned, the nation, but it's really impacting the globe, right? And I think California, we find ourselves in a unique position that we have the opportunity to make sweeping policy changes to have positive impact in this direction. And as the fifth largest economy in the world, if we can get it done in California, we can drive global change. Absolutely. So uh, when when you think about your the key voters who you need to communicate with to get this ballot initiative passed, and, and we'll we'll do our, our best to make sure we distribute this episode to, to whoever those groups are. I, I'd imagine, you know, we, we both live in the Bay Area. I think that's San Francisco in your background. So um, oh, yeah. prob- probably a lot higher support uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing and awareness of these issues and, you know, extremely progressive parts of the state, like the Bay, um, then maybe some other parts. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. But I would add too that, you know, from some of the initial polling that we've done in general across the state, there's very large support for efforts like this. I think, you know, we haven't seen a social movement around something like this, like plastics. Like if you think about like, you know, how much we talk about straws now these days. Right. And if you think back to two years ago, no one probably thought twice about straws. Um, so there's definitely been a social awareness that's continuing to grow. And it's actually interesting because it's been kind of paralleling, paralleling the amount of plastic that we're seeing ourselves use. And I think that's something that is important for us to, to, to ride, right? You know, to kind of ride that momentum that's happening because, you know, now is the time for us to try to make that change. And yes, I would agree that you're typically going to see more, more higher levels of support in the areas that you mentioned. But I also think it's, it's fair to say that the vast majority of residents in the state believe that this is something that's worth pursuing. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the straw example, because it, you know, we've seen this with plastic bags and straws and um, soda taxes and things like that. A lot of action in these things has bubbled up from the municipal level. There's, there's been sort of testing grounds and then they become statewide law. H- has there been anything, I know this is a much bigger scope than anything that could happen at the municipal level, but, ha- but have there been any municipalities in California or other places that have really been at the forefront of this? Yeah, you know, I, I would agree with you. I think a lot of this starts at the grassroots level and then it bubbles up. Um, we do anticipate that quite a few municipalities are going to be supporting this. Um, San Francisco actually announced back at the end of July that they intend to pass a resolution to support the ballot initiative um, when they come back from recess, which will be, I believe, next week. Um, so that will go through the vote. And I believe if they do pass it, it would be the first municipality that actually passed a resolution to support. But the hope is that we'll see many more follow suit. And, and do you hope to inspire other forms of actual um, change at the municipal level? Or do you feel like 
it, the, the statewide ballot initiative would accomplish most of what you're trying to do? I think it's, it's always more successful for both, right? Like I think, you know, our experience as, the, as a service provider is that providing service that is tailored to the locality that that focuses on and parallels their, their goals, which oftentimes the, the areas that we find that we provide service, we have many shared goals, you're going to be more successful in the long run. And I think what's great about this initiative is that part of the funding actually is dedicated towards local governments for recycling and environmental programs, including specifically cleanup and protection of local water supplies and litter, abate, litter abatement programs. So the intention is that it, it helps all right at, at the look at the local level as well as at the state level great uh so in terms of finding out more information about your coalition who is backing this if people want to get involved if they want to read more where should they go so the nature conservancy is a great resource um and actually we intend we're going to be launching a website that's dedicated to this campaign in the next couple of weeks um which i would love to be able to send that to you once that's live which it'll have all of the kind of detailed information if anybody has questions it'll have opportunities to donate um opportunities to get involved um etc so if you're open to that i'd love to yeah please do and we'll link it we'll put it in the show link um and and make sure that we're distributing it wherever we can. So uh, listen, Megan, this is a super important topic. Part of the reason um, that we love having topics like this on is there's a lot of stuff clamoring for headline attention these days, and that can push really important issues like this sort of below the headlines or out of the papers entirely. Uh, we, we live in a news cycle of just crisis after crisis. And so it's great to be able to dig into stuff that really is having a big impact on the future of the state, the future of the globe and get into it in more detail. So thank you for being here and thanks for doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, you know, I really have to say it's too, if I could speak to your listeners, it's like in a situation like this, your vote is your voice and it's one of the most powerful tools that we have for positive transformation. So come November, 2020, uh, hopefully you can get out to the ballot box. Well, well said, well said. Uh, well, Megan, pleasure having you and we hope to have you back again as the vote gets closer to talk more about this. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Nation State of Play podcast powered by Neptune Ops. We invite you to share story ideas, comments, and questions. Find us at NeptuneOps.com or on Twitter at at NationStateOfP1. Again, that's at NationStateOfP and then the number one. Follow us and subscribe to listen to all of our episodes as we continue to explore the inside stories driving California policy. The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IBC Media in San Diego, California. This is the Nation State of Play podcast, powered by Neptune Ops. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and thank you for listening. Do you have a business, nonprofit, or campaign that needs to break through the communications clutter? For over 10 years, IVC Media has developed a suite of digital tools, data sets, and creative techniques, all to help corporate, government, and nonprofit organizations like you deliver authentic, innovative, and effective communications. Our teams in San Diego and Tijuana can help you overcome the most challenging communications projects in any language or location. Visit us today at ibc.media. Podcast listeners, stay with me. If you're listening, if you can hear my voice, you are obviously seeking quality content that is engaging, enlightening, and insightful. Otherwise, you'd be out 
skiing, playing golf, or at the beach. So if you're hearing this, you are connected to IVN, and they are the leaders in content and explication. That's a, that's a fancy word. So I recommend that you sign up and subscribe to I'm There For You Baby, The Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. I, Neil Centuria, your faithful co-host, along with my bride and partner, we will give you a quench of thirst for knowledge. How do you like that? And we're there for you, along with IVN.org. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. And remember the most famous line of all from Bernard Baruch, a pleasant old billionaire. He said, you can't go broke taking a profit.